You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Kenneth Ween. Kenneth is a counselor and author. We'll be right back with Ken, but first, let's talk about art. I have recently been doing a lot of my own art making, which, like physical art objects, I don't do as much of as the performance work I've done in the last 10 years. That's taken a lot of my time and energy, and I just haven't been that interested in making actual art objects. But I got interested in making these birds... And I've gotten obsessed with them. And I just keep making bird mandalas and little bird drawings and paintings. And they're all very cute. And cute is not always my modus operandi. So that's kind of interesting. And it's very soothing. I've been thinking about the headspace you get into when you're making something. And, you know, I I think you go into, what is it? Alpha or beta brainwaves? I think it's beta when you're very calm where your wave, the wavelengths of your brain are really regulated. And I think that's what happens to me because I, I really get nonverbal and I don't, like the time passes and I don't, I don't, I'm not even aware of it. And it's a really nice space to occupy. I was having some pretty bad depression in December and decided to go to Playa del Carmen and just make artwork. Although the, the trip had its ups and downs and I did have some depression while I was there it was really nice to just every day get up and make art. And weirdly, I wasn't hungry. And I kept thinking, well, maybe it's the humidity and the heat. Arizona's hot, but we don't have humidity. And no, I think maybe it's just making artwork feeds you in a way. And I got back a month ago and then took my students to Oaxaca, Mexico. And similarly, we were there to make art and look at museums and go to ancient temples and go out to the villages, to the artisans. It was wonderful. And I felt very filled up by that, came back and immediately got sick. Again, I got sick when I got back from Playa del Carmen. And I got sick when I got, you guys can probably tell from my voice, when I got back from Oaxaca, which lays you low in all these weird ways. I had a whole episode about being sick and how it's just like depression. (laughs) You don't want to get out of bed. You don't feel well. It's terribly boring. It's not interesting. It's not fun. And you don't feel good. It's, It's actually very much like being sick with depression. So I've put out all my art stuff. Last night I was trying to read and all I could think about was making portraits. I haven't done a portrait in years. So I sat down and drew a portrait of a friend of mine. It's her birthday anyway, so I thought that was a good thing to do. Hours went by. I think I sat down for three or four hours, and you're not even aware of it. And so I know all of the media right now is talking about all of these wonderful artists that are killing themselves, actors and musicians and creative people. And I know in the history of 
art and poetry, there's no lack of depression and suicidal ideation and just downright suicide. And I think that's interesting. So I found an article from Recovery Ranch, Artists and Depression, the link between depression and creativity. And I'll just read that to you all. Where there is depression, art often seems to follow, sometimes great art, Poe, Pollock, Michelangelo, Hemingway, Keats, Gauguin, Dickens, and Blake are just a few famous creative artists who are known to have suffered from terrible bouts of depression. But how exactly do depression and art interrelate? Do depressive episodes sometimes aid in the creative process? Or is there something about being an artist in any creative field that predisposes one to develop depression? Psychologists and psychiatrists have studied and pondered the question for decades, and most have concluded that depression does play a role in creative output. Creative people can become chronically frustrated because of their idealism and reflective natures, make it impossible for them to accept their own failures or those of society. Others without such creative inclination may be saddened in the moment, but they'll be far less likely to tie themselves up in knots imagining and reimagining alternative histories that could have just happened but didn't, or should happen but never will. Depression can be debilitating condition, but often it is a warning sign and a cry for help. In other words, it calls for action, and those with great artistic ability naturally turn to their art to express what they're feeling. Their depression may not be the cause of their art, but it can be a motivation for it or a coping mechanism for it. That helps explain why so many creative people burdened with depression have managed to maintain such an impressive output of creative works. When used to treat depression, art therapy functions as an outlet for expressing feelings that aren't easily put into words, or that are so repressed or hidden that they can only be revealed through free and open channels of the creative process. Artistic practice of all types takes the artist deeper into their own subconscious, where the answers to the mysteries of mental illness are more likely to be found. And so I think currently I'm in a mode of art production and depression seems to be at bay, which I'm very grateful for. And we'll see, we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. Things come and go and there are ups and downs, but I find that it's, it's at least at the very base of it, just so soothing to be really immersed in something. It feeds you on this emotional, psychic, physical level and when you're done, you have something you have to figure out what to do with that. Sometimes I feel like it's the detritus of the creative process or all these pictures I end up with. In any case, it's, it's, a, it's a worthy cause and a good therapy. And I'll just end with a quote by Albert Camus. In the depths of winter, I finally learned there was in me an invincible summer. Today we have with us in the studio, Kenneth Wayne. Ken is a counselor and author. Hello, Ken. Welcome to the Depression Session. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. And I just want to mention, of course, as you were talking about your, your bird paintings uh, pictures, that I got a chance before the show to see some of them. And folks, uh, they're really good. <laughs> I would say, like, I, it's quite easy for me to make... Um, very accurately rendered beautiful things, but so often it doesn't interest me and I'll be in some other thing that I'm mm -hmm. doing and people are like, but you can do these amazing portraits or pictures. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard, sometimes hard to value the things that come easily. I'm sure other people seeing them will value them. <laughs> and that, that counts too, because, yeah. you know, it isn't just creating art that uh, helps people deal with their emotions. And by the way, not just depression, anger loneliness and you know, even joy. I'll find ways of 
expressing themselves through art. But also it helps us when we're appreciating and looking at art. It isn't just producing, but also experiencing art. I think very much the same way that when we experience nature. Yes. It, it takes us to a place that is very special, an internal place. And, and aren't we all looking for that kind of special place within ourselves and in our worlds? Some, that place where all of a sudden it all seems to make sense and to matter. Yeah. And of course, I have two sides. Yeah, well, of course, I have many sides as a person, but two sides we're talking about today. One is counseling, where I'm trying to help other people find that place. And the other is my writing, which, like your artwork, is a way of finding it for myself. And like you, for example, you know, I'm in the middle of writing a, a new novel or whatever it is I'm writing. <clears throat> Boy, I don't want to eat. I, I don't want to particularly <laughs> sleep. I, I sleep well and I eat well when I get around to. It isn't. But I I don't want to because I'm so there with with what I'm writing, what I'm working on. And that's a lot of fun. It's, it's a, my place. Yeah. <laughs> my place. And, and they always talk about being present. Mm. And art is a funny way of being present. You know, when you're writing or when you're making a piece of artwork, you're lost in it, in a way, mm -hmm. yet it feels very present. Yes. Yeah. And the funniest part of it is, of course, that then, and, and I think this is a very interesting process in art. I, I know my wife is a painter, and I, I see her doing this, too. After you've been in that place, after you've done that creating, then there's something called editing. <laughs> <laughs> and that process is so totally different. And that's when... All of a sudden, you know, I'll edit five pages and time for a snack. <laughs> Another three pages, I need a nap. <laughs> because that is taking you totally out of your place. I think that, that that's a very fascinating part of the creative process for me, is yeah. that in and out. And uh, right now I have two books that are just about to come out. Well, one is at my publisher. Red and White, and it is set in the late 19th century, and it is about a Native American boy. And I'm making air quotes, and of course your audience can't see about the word Native American, and there's a reason for that, that I'm not going to be a spoiler and tell you. <laughs> and it's about the Native American schools, the Indian schools, mm -hmm. and, and whole bunches of things like that. It's about the meaning of family, the meaning of ethnicity, and the meaning of race. The other book... And, and that book uh, is at my publisher, as I say. The other is looking for a, an agent. And that's one I co-wrote with a friend of mine who is from South Sudan. He was one of the uh, boy soldiers. Mm. And the lost boys, as they call them. And he, he says they never considered themselves lost. No. <laughs> they knew exactly where they had come from and why. But it's a very powerful story. And... It, the writing process, for me, is a much more collaborative kind of process. You know, that segues into the other thing that's going on in my life, which uh, Rise and I just moved here to Tucson. We have been in Phoenix. Yeah, we, we love it. I, I have The reason why is quite simple. Phoenix was beginning to make me sad. 
Mm. It was, it had gone from being this welcoming, open community with a lots of, of uh, vibrancy into becoming a big city. And big mm. cities, you know, as you get older, that's not so nice. <laughs> so we took a look. We've been coming to Tucson for years. We, we've come down. There's wonderful theater here. The university is fabulously. You know, it's the, 10 degrees cooler. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it can be cooler. It, it, it's gorgeous. I, I mean, I don't have to tell your audience. I mean, they all live here, right? <laughs> um, so we decided uh, to move down here. And we thought it was going to take us, oh, months and months. You know, first you have to sell where you are, then you have to find a place. We put our condo up in Phoenix on the market. It sold the first day. Oh, full price. Maybe we just priced it too low. I don't know, but we got <laughs> good price. <laughs> then we came down here and we were looking. And first place we found. We looked at others. Don't get it. We're not that impulsive, folks. <laughs> but we just really found a 55-plus community that suited us perfectly, especially because my wife's physical needs. And uh, we're up right near uh, the intersection of River and Oracle. And I'm saying that, folks, because one of the things that I do is I am a counselor. Of course, I practiced as a psychologist in New York for years. And I still do some counseling. Right now, I have a couple of people I'm still working with up in Phoenix, and, and we do it by Skype, which actually is working. I really love working with people, and I don't want to give that up. So eh, one of the things I want to do is get a few clients here. Particularly, I'm particularly interested in working with families because I believe very strongly that I don't care how much biological involvement there is, and clearly in, in depression, among other things, there's biological involvement. But no matter how much biological in there is, there's also psychological and social. Very often, the best way to get out of something is to go through the door, as it were, and the door being, in this case, the, the family constellation and the interpersonal connection. So I'm really interested in seeing if I can find some families to work with, also some individuals, not too many. How would they find you? Well, they find me the easiest way is to go online and look for kennethween.com because luckily for me, I'm the only Kenneth Wien in the world. <laughs> That's spelled W-E-E-N-E. -E -E. Only one. And so if you go on Facebook or whatever, but also if you just look for my website, and they can contact me through that. So, uh, so Ken, tell us the story of your depression, or of depression. A story of depression. Gee, you know, I think that what I want to talk about instead is my friend Dang, the, the fellow from South Sudan, and his non-depression, because that has fascinated me. Now, I want to explain to you folks, this guy, he was driven out of his home when he was about eight. He walked the whole length of his country to get to a refugee camp in um, Ethiopia. From there, he went to another camp. You know, I mean, the story, I don't want to be a spoiler here and tell the whole story, 
But just to give you an idea of this, there were marauders who would come and steal the cattle from the village. And the story begins with them coming and stealing the cattle twice. Then his uncle takes and drags him off. He's a little kid. He drags him off to be a soldier. Uh, and then there's a battle, and he has to flee for his life without his uncle. And he meets this man who is going, who is part of this mass movement, and they start out walking. And obviously, as you can imagine, this man means a huge amount today. He dies on the trip. Then he eventually, I, I don't want to, again, I don't want to tell all the story. I want people to buy the book, which would be called Jumping Over the Ram. And there's a reason for that. Um, he, he ends up in this camp, Itang, in uh, Ethiopia. And there is a man there whom he kind of looks up to. And this man is a, a not a particularly good man, <laughs> but he's, he's, you know, kind of, in connection. Well, they end up in sickbay together. And uh, Deng has, I think it was chickenpox. This guy has, he's dying. He dies. And so there is a section of the book where every night Deng is lying in this tent and he's hearing the jackals, the hyenas, the scavengers out there digging for the dead body. And the bodies are just under the surface in loose sandy soil. And each day he gets up and he goes to where this man's body is buried and tries to reassemble the pieces, put them together and rebury them. Now, I'm just telling you two out of a number of his stories. He comes to this country at age 17 with the help of Catholic charities. He goes through foster home. He gets himself an education. He goes to college. He even has a master's degree. He becomes an American citizen, proudly so. And he continues to this day to do everything he can to make his original home country a better place. Because when he left it, it wasn't even South Sudan. Uh, one of the things he took part in was the election for the people here in this country, the election. They also got to vote to make South Sudan a country. And the thing is, he's not depressed. He's not in pain. Now, obviously, some of this has to be biology. God gave him <laughs> the right serotonin uptake, what have you. But some of it is something else. And that something else has fascinated me as a counselor. What it is, is his incredible ability to believe that he can somehow undo the pain. And for that reason, he is totally connected to his father. His mother's dead, but it's totally connected to his father and his family back in South Sudan. And to the point that it actually, in my opinion, skews him away from things he perhaps ought to be. He has a son, the son by an Austrian woman, and he has almost no contact with the boy. Uh, and I keep pushing him to have, and I know he doesn't want to. 
I know that he doesn't want to because, you see, to do that would be to open himself up to the pain. And one of the things I've learned from Deng is that depression and pain aren't necessarily bad. That sometimes it's the avoiding of that is the problem. And that's one of the reasons I think it is so important, for example, to talk about the pain and share the pain within the family rather than trying to make believe, as many people do when they're in pain, that they're just fine. So, you know, you mentioned this whole list of, of artists earlier. And one of, the, uh, my, one of my favorites is Van Gogh. And Van Gogh had a brother who, would, who adored him. And I don't think Vincent ever told Theo how much pain he was in. It was always about selling the paintings. Now, the paintings were very important because their father had really rejected Vincent's desire to be an artist. And so Theo was trying to be there for his brother. Theo, of course, became a very successful art dealer. And he was trying to sell Vincent's paintings. But they never talked about dad and why dad couldn't accept. And the reality was that both of these men became very immersed in the world of painting, in the world of art, and what art meant. And yet they never could talk about it within the family situation. And, and so I guess what I'm saying, and I'm drawing on my friend Deng here too, as I share this, is that we need to share those issues. And I, now in this point in my life, thinking back to the issues that never got discussed in my family. And it's very funny because I have an older brother. And we have gotten fairly close in the last few years, but actually I, I think I'm a little closer to his wife than I am to him. One of the reasons is that she wants to know all about this wackadoo ween family and what really happened. And my brother has chosen to forget it all. It never happened. It was never there. And I, of course, especially because as an author, I want to draw on that stuff. You know, I want to use that in my, my writing, in my understanding of the world. I go just the absolute opposite direction. For example, when he pulls out a report card that says he missed over half of the school units in sixth grade. And, you know, what was wrong with you? I'm the one who says... Well, we had von Munchausen's by proxy. And that year was the worst because, and I go on to tell a story that my brother, sadly, oh my God, I never realized, you know, kind of reaction. And that should be going on in families where we're sharing those things and that pain, not years later, not when we were in our late years, but, but while it's happening. Wow, thank you so much for your story of depression. Very, very interesting. I wanted to mention the discussing versus covering, or, or I don't know exactly how you said it, but where you're, you're not, the unwillingness to talk about something versus the willingness to talk about it. 
And I've thought a lot about that in the, in the last several years that I've been doing this show, because one thing the show makes me do is talk every week about how I'm actually doing. Mm -hmm. And that keeps me honest in a way, because when I have depression, my main thing is I'm fine. You mentioned that, that yeah. I'm fine thing. Yeah. And I've found also to have very honest conversations. I've had both my brother and my mother on this show separately and together for a Christmas episode where we talked about family and depression. And that's been a very... My mom is actually going to move here and build a house in my backyard. Oh, cool. Yeah. And she comes every year and stays with me, but she wants to be permanent. So she's going to, she's in the same process. She's selling her condo in Michigan and moving to Tucson to have a life here because it's a really wonderful place to live. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is a wonderful place to live. <laughs> so your, your, your stories all kind of um, bring together some things that are, this happens a lot too, to me where like they bring together all these things that are happening in my life right now, which are like kind of you, when you make the decision to move into your daughter's backyard, you have family stuff you actually need to talk about. about. Yes, of course. <laughs> the, the key, the key word, the word you were looking for is, and it's an interesting one is repression. Repression. And the thing is that if you're a Freudian, you think of repression as being internal. But one of the things I figured out a long time ago, I mean, Freud made a number of errors. He also has some brilliant insights. But one of the errors he made was he thought of repression as internal. I think of it as familial. Mm -hmm. We are told what not to talk about. We are, you know, there are things that are verboten. And, for example, my mother's manipulation of medical situations was verboten. We don't talk about it. You're sick. <laughs> don't you try and make believe you're not. And don't you talk about the fact you want to go to school. <laughs> and, you know, other things like that. You, you're not supposed to. And clearly, uh, if you think about Dang, you know, here these people are dying around him. And, and how do you deal with it? You get up and you go on because there is no room for that in either in the army, which infected eight years of old, well, he was in the army, but in the army, but also in certain situations, survival demands that we not share fear, tears, pain, depression, horror. These things we don't share. We share anger. We can go, we're going to go kill him. But, you know, we're not supposed to share those soft things. And that is bad for us as people, as families, and I think personally as countries, as, as, as communities. There's a lot of anger right now, I've noticed. That we're not talking about, not yes. supposed to talk about. Yeah, there just seems to be an escalation mm -hmm. of anger in our country. And I think it was a sort of repression that was happening, mm -hmm. a group repression of um, feelings of anger and injustice and, you know, people feeling like they got a raw deal. And now that's a voice that we're hearing very loud. Yeah, and I, I find it scary. I find it scary, but in a way positive. And, you know, I, I'm going to say something that, it's going to probably surprise you, will surprise most of the people who know me. Uh, I think, in a way, that President Trump has done this country a great service because he's really made it all right for people to talk about their anger 
and their distrust and all of these negative things. I just wish that he had also tried to help us find ways to come to terms with, resolve, and, and improve upon. <laughs> but at least... But that's probably not his role. <laughs> no, it's not, well, certainly not the role he's taken. Yeah. But that's what's going on right now, is that at least we're talking about it. Yeah. And the thing that bothers me most is when people say, well, then I won't talk to you. <laughs> no, no, we have to talk. Yeah. We don't have to agree, but we have to have the dialogue. And that is a perfect way to end this show. Ken, thanks so much for being on the Depression Session. Thank you for having me. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.